Hello, and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Jennifer Sargent, an editor at The Lancet, and it is Thursday, November 22nd, 2018. Thank you for joining us, and for our American listeners, happy Thanksgiving. We are recording today from the Institute of Hepatology at King's College Hospital in Denmark Hill, London, and we're here today to talk about liver disease. Worldwide, mortality from liver disease is rising. According to the latest statistics from the WHO Global Hepatitis Report, last year, deaths attributable to liver disease outnumbered those from HIV-AIDS. Other work has shown that here in the UK alone, mortality from liver disease has risen fourfold since 1970 and will soon overtake ischemic heart disease as the leading cause of years of working life lost in the country. Today in The Lancet, we published the fifth report of the Lancet Commission on Liver Disease in the UK, and I am joined by Professor Roger Williams, Director of the Institute of Hepatology and of the Foundation of Liver Research. He is Professor of Hepatology at King's College London and founded the liver unit at King's College Hospital in 1966. This is now one of the largest clinical liver units in the UK and in Europe. And, importantly, Prof is the Chair of the Lancet Commission on on Liver Disease in the UK. Welcome Prof and thank you for joining me. Hello. You've led the commission since its inception in 2013 with the inaugural report published in 2014 and you've continued to work with the commissioners to provide annual updates for this important project. One unique feature of the Commission on Liver Disease in the UK (coughs) is that you've assembled a collaborative team with academics as well as stakeholders from the public sector. Can you tell us a little bit about bringing together such a diverse team of expert clinicians, researchers and policy makers and the experience of working together over the past five years? The bringing together of an expert group and this group has met every quarter since the whole project was started with Richard Horton in 2013 has been essential because they've brought in expertise both from uh, the clinical side, looking after patients, some of them are physicians, there's public health doctors who have brought in knowledge of what's happening to public health, most importantly the enormous uh, increase in burden of liver disease from alcohol and obesity and viral hepatitis. We've also got some financial uh, persons who have given us information on the costs. So it's a very wide grouping of people. We've got representatives from Public Health England. We've got representatives from all the other bodies that are involved in this problem, like Alcohol Alliance, Institute of Alcohol Studies, Obesity Alliance, and so on. So we've tried to make it representative. And the meetings have been really exciting in that people have contributed their views, which we've then brought together finally into the annual report. It's such a strong and talented group. The Commission has obviously made huge progress towards transforming care for patients with liver disease in the UK and has also influenced public policy with regard to food and the alcohol industries. What would you view as the most significant achievements of the Commission to date? The most important contribution that the Lancet Commission has made, both in its quarterly meetings of experts and in its annual review, has been evidence-based data. In other words, there can be no escape from the data that's been published in the Lancet which shows the true facts of the conditions, namely 
alcohol increasing, number of admissions increasing, costs increasing, disease burden from alcohol increasing. And over the past two years, the same applies to obesity, disease burden, costs of obesity, and the whole range of these lifestyle issues affecting society, crime, public health in all its aspects. And very importantly, it's drawn attention to the association between alcohol abuse and too great body weight in the deprived areas of the country. In other words, the poorer people are those who have the greatest chance of being heavy drinkers and of being overweight because they have a poor diet and so on and so on. So there's an enormous amount of data, well-validated data, that has been published in the annual reports of the Commission. What we haven't achieved is the government backing that evidence in form of uh, tax regulatory measures that will reduce alcohol consumption and also cut down on the very current obesity epidemic. I wonder if we could focus on the report that you've published today in The Lancet and if you could tell me what the most salient points from this report are. This year's report summarises what has been achieved over the past four years but it also contains new data. It contains very importantly data on hospital care for the acutely sick patients with liver disease. There was a CPOD National Inquiry report way back in 2013 which showed that standard of care for patients acutely ill in hospital with liver disease was less than good in 50% and at least 10% mortality could have been reduced. The reports were terrible on the standard of care across the country. That's not in the best centres, which has a high standard, but across the country stands for. And this year, in the Lancet report, we publish standardised mortality outcome figures from a majority of the hospital trusts around the country. I think there are 174 trusts we've got data from, showing that in 19 out of the 174, the mortality outcome figures were above the average. In other words, they were unacceptable. So what we have shown in what's called a funnel plot is the range of outcomes from the hospital trusts across the country for routine, non-elective acute care admissions. And there's a tremendous range with some of them, 19 out of that particular number, having unacceptable outcome measures. Now that's going to be pursued further. The names of the offending trusts are not being published, but this is an area of work that we're going to look at further in the forthcoming 12 months. The other interesting areas that we've covered are the loss of healthy living in terms of years because the statistics show which are published in Lancet 5 that 20% of your uh, life expectancy after the age of 65 is spent in ill health and that is due to alcohol, obesity, hypertension, 
smoking, all diseases that are attributable come back to, uh, particularly to alcohol. Alcohol is a major cause of hypertension, strokes in the elderly. And what's been further shown, and which we quote in The Lancet, is that if you try and correct after the age of 65, these lifestyle issues, these health issues, you can't correct them very well. You have to go back to preventing them when you're younger, in your 40s and 50s. Otherwise, they're going to persist and be there in the elderly. And you know, dementia is related to these factors just as much as ill health. Over 50% of cases of dementia can be attributable to lifestyle issues. Prof, you've talked a lot about the variation in care for patients across the UK, and it's quite astounding that there's this handful, this 19 trusts who are in trouble. There must be clear steps, examples from other trusts that they can learn from to improve their situations, and uh, perhaps you'd like to elaborate on that. Yes, I would do, because a lot is going on through a scheme which is called IQIS, that's being run by the Royal College of Physicians in association with clinicians to improve standards and to have an audit of standards in each hospital trust. And there are now 33 hospital trusts that are signed up to that program. So they're under continuous audit. They're trying to improve uh, their standard of care and this is all being recorded properly. The hope is that that scheme will extend much more widely than 33 through to the 200 or so trusts in the country. This will be a big help. There's also another group, uh, the Specialist Society, British Society of Gastroenterology and British Association for Study of Liver, who are producing, again, a report on the facilities in terms of staffing that's available in these various hospitals. So there's a lot of data is going to be fed back to the hospitals that are having difficulty in looking after patients properly. Now, what is very encouraging is that there are examples around the country where local initiatives have produced great improvements in the care of the patients, the frequency of illness and so on. For instance, in Portsmouth, the consultant hepatologists got together with the social services, the counsellors and everybody, and they reduced the number of outlets of uh, heavy drinking, selling high concentration drinks from, I think, 150 down to a very small number. So there's a fantastic picture in the, in the Lancet of the distribution of these high-strength outlets being reduced as a result of local pressure. There's also in the Lancet another account of in Scotland how the general practitioners are being helped to diagnose liver disease at an earlier stage. When they ask the liver blood test, the laboratory measure the liver blood test, but immediately they go on uh, with automation to uh, run extra blood tests as to the cause of the abnormality. Then those feed into management algorithms which get fed back to the GP electronically. So that's another real advance. In Southampton also, and Nottingham, GPs, general practitioners, are being allowed to order fibro scans, which is the best test for picking up 
significant liver disease directly themselves without having to go through hospitals. All around the country there are initiatives going on and the hospital trusts though because of the burden of admissions that they have probably uh, the most backward but there is there is some signing up to improve care of a proportion of them. I'd just like to pick up on one thing that you had mentioned earlier and about the cycle of poverty and the inequities that you see in liver disease in the UK. Uh, you talked about poorer people being more likely to be heavy drinkers and to have poorer diets. Within the document itself, you talk about what you call the shit life syndrome. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us some more about that and how we can break that cycle. This is a, it's a very important issue because... Correcting poverty in deprived areas around the country, of which there are very definite groupings in the northwest and northeast and so on, is very difficult and, you know, has defied politicians and social care workers for a long time. Poverty is there. Social care budgets have been cut by government and, unfortunately, social care on medical issues is now under the local councils rather than within, within the NHS. And many doctors feel that, that uh, shifting that responsibility was a mistake because really social care is needed for these sick patients and you can't have two bodies providing it. Very difficult to overcome poverty. It's very relevant too to one of the measures that we have pushed and pushed for government to adopt, namely what's called minimum unit price. And that policy which stops people from selling drink below a certain level, 50p a unit, which has now been adopted in Scotland by the Scottish government and is now working, the government in England will not adopt because there's a feeling that you're hitting the poorer people the poorer people will not be able to drink as much if MUP is introduced into England. But although in Scotland it's been accepted without any major issue in terms of a public reaction. That brings us neatly into talking about the food and alcohol industries, and in particular the alcohol industry. Tackling these powerful and very well-resourced bodies is going to be a formidable task. Can you tell us about some of the tactics that the industries are using and what can be done to counteract these measures? The alcohol industry I've had fair number of exchanges with over the years on television. They're very well orientated, they're very eloquent, they have plenty of funding behind them and they all say that they want to uh, encourage healthy drinking. But in fact, they make no effort to do that because they've refused to have labelling of alcohol content on the liquor they sell. In other words, we want, like for cigarettes, the number, the the, uh, health danger warning and the number of safe units that you're allowed under the Chief Medical Officer's guidelines, which are very well validated. We want those labels on alcohol drinks, but they refuse to do it and, uh, and we keep trying. The most worrying, perhaps, of all is that they were responsible for the Prime Minister at the time, Mr Cameron, reneging 
on his alcohol policy, which included minimum unit price, this was about four, four or five years ago, he had announced the policy, was pushing it hard, and then as a result of lobbying from the drinks industry, and we know that they had 45 or more meetings with ministers, compared with ministers having uh, three or four meetings with expert doctors, and there was a whole lot of doctors resigning. So they are very powerful, and the food industry is going to be very much guided by the drinks industry in resisting levies on sugar content, changing the sugar content of food, anything that restricts their profit margins. It's all very worrying, and particularly because there's been a a big controversy just very recently and flare-up of tension between uh, doctors and the drinks industry because DrinkAware, a charity run by the alcohol industry, has teamed up with Public Health England in a campaign to uh, promote safer drinking. That's what they say. But the great worry is that this is an opening which will allow uh, the drinks industry to carry on resisting the very important measures that they should adopt. Perhaps we can finish with Prof telling us about what the plans for the Commission are in the future and where you plan to focus your efforts. We will not produce a general report like we have in the past five years on all the issues, but we'll really focus very hard on alcohol and as part of alcohol, obesity comes in because the two are often associated. So we're going to focus very hard on that issue. We're going to bring in even more experts and people who are concerned, like the Academy of Medical Sciences, I hope, on the science side. That's going to be one area of work. And the other area of work is in relation to raising the standards of hospital care, acutely sick people. So I'm afraid, uh, uh, Jennifer, you're going to have two reports for the Lancet next year, but they won't be as long as the present one, and they will be very different, and we're going to have smaller working groups looking at these two areas, which are most important for public health in the UK. Prof, thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today to discuss this latest report, and congratulations on its publication. Very nice to meet you, uh, Jennifer. The report is published online today and is available free with registration at www.thelancet.com. I'm Jennifer Sargent from The Lancet. Thank you for joining us.